This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Julie from a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Hi, I'm Misa. And uh, don't forget about uh, Forgotten Classics, which I saw had some stuff in its feed lately. Yes, thank you. Started Uh, it back up again. Great. Uh, And we're going to talk about Kim by Richard Kipling. This is a a novel I've heard much about. Uh, I decided to read it, (laughs) luckily. And it says it was published in 1901, I guess in book form, but uh, I Mm. looked at the serialization from December 1900 to October 1901. It took almost a whole year to uh, serialize. It's a long book. It's a long book. <laughs> it feel, but it feels like like uh, the kind of book that in ser- its serialization, um, it, one of the descriptions is it's a picaresque, right? It's a series of you know you know this term uh, picaresque. No, I used to, but I've forgotten. Uh, all right, I'm looking it up now. <laughs> Pic- oh, wise one, tell us. Well, it's like a. It's a novel that is a story, a relating to an episodic style of fiction dealing with the adventures uh, of a rough and dishonest but appealing hero. I'm not sure oh, about the dishonest part there exactly. But yeah, I mean neither. No, but the rest of it works. Yeah. If you if you would say a rogue, then you've got Mahubali and you know mm-hmm. all these others. Yeah. It works perfectly. Mm. So. Uh, I was before we started. I was gonna say things that I shouldn't say, so I'm gonna say them now. <laughs> and that Surprise was, us! How do we how do we come to this book? So Julie, I think you uh, direct messaged me uh, about Kim. And what did you say? Oh yeah, you because remember? a long time ago I had said I wanted to read Citizen of the Galaxy and talk about it right, with you because right. it's my favorite Heinlein. And then you had said, "Well, if you're gonna we're gonna talk about that, we should really, t- you know, have you read Kim?" Mm. And I was like, "I have tried Kim several times, and I do not care for it. Thank you." Oh but really? I'm, oh yes. And you though, Jesse, were like, "Oh, that's too bad." And I'm like, "Damn it." And it's stuck in my brain. <laughs> and so then I did what I do to get the um, the book going. If I can't get into it reading, I got the audio yep. and was enchanted. Okay. I found that too. Like I, I, I liked the written text, but I was having a lot of trouble. Like, it was just so thick. Like mm-hmm. there's just so much going on. And, and then when I got to the audio, all of a sudden, the clouds parted. Yes. <laughs> The sights it's and sounds of wonderful. India are overwhelming, and you want to jump back home into your safe, safe little cupboard. But <laughs> if, if India the, overcomes you, yeah, the audiobook's like getting on the train, and right, it takes you to places <laughs> the without your own mo- mo- motion, right? You, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something to. I mean, this is this is why I like to read Edgar Allan Poe short stories on the page, right? Right. It's, it's because I was just reading somebody on on Reddit was saying, I can't read Poe, right? Just because it's so dense. Um, mm. And mm-hmm. you really have to sort of change your your way of reading to get through some things that are, are honestly, it's just the style from back then. People were mm-hmm. much more engaged with the material in a way that mm-hmm. I think 
the big thick novels of today don't feel like big thick novels of the yesterday, right? Very right. They're they're all airy and breezy, full of holes, right? <laughs> and uh, and the ones back in the day are condensed uh, and you know compacted and folded a thousand ways. And uh, there's a lot there's a lot more work to be done in a mo- in a in a classic novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. And I have to say, so I listened to the audio and then, which is leading me then to the written book, which is what happens if I like the audio for something, because I engage with it differently when it's in print, then I wanted to read it. So Mm -hmm. then I reread it that way. And then I wrote to you and was like, thank you so much, because I would never have picked it up. And that's when you went, well, then we should talk about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, My trick is I, I find a book that I want to read. And then I make one of my <laughs> friends read it for me and let me know if I, I'll like it and if, if they like and so it. So you had not read it? No, I've never read Kim until today. Ah, you trickster, you. I didn't actually say that I had. I just, you know, no. I read a lot about about books before I read the books. Right. Because I, I find, you know, I'm a slow reader and it's all it's a lot of work to read a book. <laughs> and it's not that hard work to do a little bit of research about a book, you know. And then... Or a Drop lot of those seeds and see if they flower. Absolutely, mm-hmm. right? Why? Why? why <laughs> you know, you're, ten, you're I love you're it. Tending a garden, and you know, you, you throw out a lot of seeds, and whatever starts growing, you you don't call that a weed. You call that uh, intended. <laughs> yes, right. Did you like it? Oh, of course. Yes. How could one not okay. like this book? Well, I've I've had books I've said that about, and you have not agreed. So I was just checking. Hmm. I'm not sure which books we're talking about, but um, that's a side trip. We don't need that. Yeah. Uh, but I wanna I wanna talk about some other things that I think made me think of Kim, uh, besides the fact that yes, Citizen of the Galaxy is related. So there's a podcast I'm pretty sure neither of you were on. Um, in fact, I know there's one that you weren't on that we did recently. Um, called The Turning Wheel. Now, this is a Philip K. Dick story, which is ah. interesting. Um, and I tried to find, uh, just before uh, I called you this morning, I tried to find if there was any evidence that Philip K. Dick was a massive Rudyard Kipling fan. Um, <laughs> now, I didn't find much evidence. But... Um, I know that he was aware of his existence. <laughs> I'd hope so. <laughs> Which he is pretty literate and intelligent. <laughs> yes. Um, so there's a line in, and Julie, you should know this, Galactic Pot Healer. Yay! <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite books, if not my Philip K. Dick book. Um, Love it. The prominent science fiction author, Philip K. Dick, included a version of the, jo- of the joke in his 1969 Galactic Pot Healer. The dialogue existed in a character's thoughts. Qu- uh, question, do you like Yates? Answer, I don't know. I've never tried any. For a time, his mind was empty. <laughs> then he thought of this. Do you like Kipling? I don't know. I've never kippled. Because <laughs> <laughs> do you know Yates is a really old joke? Yes, yes. It's not yeah. original to... Uh, to PKD, although this particular version... Yeah, so he's riffing. Yes, yes I like it. Yes, I like is. it. Lisa, were you on that one, the Galactic Pot? No. Okay, well, was... you, you must read that book if you have not. Is It is 
utter, de- utter I, it's delight. His, make my note already. It's so yeah, delightful. No, it's his nod to Lovecraft. I, I think it is, and it's also just so... It's absolutely. Um, it's, it's a it's spiritual enough. journey for a guy who mm-hmm. who has uh, uh, an existential crisis. Yeah, it's... Um, I loved it, and I'm very wary about Philip K. Dick, and I've only tried his short stories I like, and I've read... What did I read? The one about World War II, the whatever it was. Um, oh, you know, Jesse. The uh, Man in the High Castle? Yeah, that. And I was like, huh, okay. Did well, that, not love that, it. That is not a comedy. Um, a lot of well, Philip K. Dick stuff are, are com- com- comedic, right? Yes, that one I'm is more very, very. I mean, he was he was reading all sorts of Nazi atrocity stuff, and he did that to to make himself. He wrote that novel to make himself feel better. So that tells well, you, I guess, what a state he was It was good until in. it got to the end, and then I went, Ugh, okay, fine, this. It's a wonderful which, book, but it is not yeah. popular. Okay, yeah, that's fine. You should definitely you should definitely um, look into some more of his comedies. He's, he has a lot of them. There's one that's utterly fascinating. I was telling my, you know, uh, it's it's very hard to get uh, jaded teenage students interested in books, <laughs> um, but I started telling uh, them the plot of um, one called uh, Counterclock World, which is <laughs> okay. um, if you guys have seen the episode of Red Dwarf called Backwards. Nope. Yes, but I don't remember it. So they, I know. what they, what happens is they they go through a time hole or whatever, and they end up on Earth, but uh, they think they're in Bulgaria because the sign says uh, Nodnol, <laughs> and of course it's just London, right? Everything's yeah. backwards, and everybody lives backwards in this universe. So you walk in. I feel like that means he'd been reading Chesterton's comment about Dickens. Who said if you see, what is it, Moorock or whatever? It's mm. like coffee room backwards. If you see it through the other side of the door, right. then everything turns backwards for you, and it makes you see the world a new way. Right. So this mm. this yeah. novel is um, uh, Counterclock World is is uh, about uh, so you're born in a grave, and you wake up in your uh-huh. your own uh, coffin. And you start banging on it. Somebody comes by with a shovel and digs you out and pulls you out of the earth and then carries you uh, to the hospital where you are, you know, dressed. And and then... Uh, oh, that sounds so cool. It's, it's an awesomely, hilariously weird book. And uh, and then you start yeah. living your life uh, backwards and, until you become a tiny little zygote and uh, some lady puts you inside her uh, vagina and you dissolve and become part of her body. I don't know. She has oh, to find some man to uh, to have sex with her before that can happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's, it's a little awkward without... Yeah, but yeah, the so best part, just like really in weird. the episode of Red Dwarf, is, uh, I mean, of the novel, is, is there's all these manners with regards to, um, to uh, going to the bathroom and to eating, because they're reversed. So everybody, oh, I, no, everybody no, shares no, everybody shares no. their meals together, but nobody no, shares you. going to the bathroom together. But they, of course, are reversed. So it's it, it, he handles well, it very tastefully. Well, um, <laughs> but, well, he would be imaginative about it. I'm how, sure. How, how is this related? Okay, so there, we did this yes, story please. called the Turning Wheel, 
which is a novelette from Science Fiction Stories 1954, uh, issue two. And its, oh. it's uh, premise is that the, um, the main, <laughs> pretty much the main uh, priest character from this novel uh, gets his way with the world and take over as an empire. And the United States has become sort of a Buddhist utopia. Um, mm-hmm. But everything's falling apart because of the turning wheel. Uh, the philosophy that, you know, everyone go around begging <laughs> and get things done. Yes. Right? So one of the really strange things about reading Kim is that begging is like uh, a normal and um, honorable trade, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, we think not. I don't, I don't know anybody who thinks it's a normal and honorable trade. I do think that it might be a necessary trade. It might be a, uh, a way to get you not to starve to death. And maybe there's mm-hmm. things that we shouldn't, you know, be too down on it. But th- this is a um, very different kind of philosophy. Than is it always a noble and honorable trade or does it depend on who is doing the begging? It's a good question. It's a good question. Um what, what how does it work in the book, right? It, well, because you, you are, if I'm begging for for uh, uh, my my monk, then you're going to acquire merit. But but we never met a, an a, another kind of beggar to know what the feeling was toward that person. Right, Kim in this novel. Kim, yeah, but Kim was oh. begging for the llama. When we see him, he's begging for the llama. But I would say that the way he like when he goes and gets the curry. Mm-hmm. He. It seems like he's well used to catching meals everywhere. But we never had the author's perception of of Kim, it's right? True. Because he's interested in. He's kind of interested in conveying India's respect for the holy, yeah. right? It's, right. It's, Which I it's, thought was it's amazing. It's not directly addressed, and the, 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 there's some amazingly like big blinders in this book as to what we're not seeing. Right? There's a mm-hmm. lot of dialogue. Um, and a lot of uh, really clever wordplay and all sorts of interesting things, but there's there's certainly like big pieces being left out of the picture. So when I uh, I, I didn't send it to you, Julie, um, and probably because I didn't have enough time, and because it's hard to get stuff to you. But, uh, <laughs> oh yes, email is is terrible. I tried to. Uh, well, I did. I watched the uh, 1950 movie version. Did, mm-hmm. did oh, you huh? get a chance? Uh, I, I watched. I watched it, but I. I have to say, I fell asleep. Me so too. I, I saw the beginning <laughs> and the end. I it's saw like, the beginning keeper. and the middle, and then I started falling asleep because. Yeah, me too. Beginning, middle, and uh, it was yeah. late. Um, but what's interesting is they have to show things that this book doesn't show, right? Mm-hmm. That's what made the book. That's what made that movie almost unwatchable, he, though. I agree. It's hard to to see how you can film is it the colonialism like and stuff like that that's uh well one of the things that i noted uh was that yeah kim kim is um uh, he's not just uh roguish he is um a malefactor he is a rogue he is a malefactor yeah, he, in some some oh. respects so there's a scene where uh-huh. he he puts a a spiky thing on a baby's foot to make on the a, baby cry yeah. Yeah, and Kim wouldn't have done that. Like I feel like uh, he wouldn't have done that. Yeah. No, he wouldn't have done that. Yeah. And it's not um, like it's not like the baby's dead or anything. It's caused an no, infection, but, but it seems the opposite of the philosophy that he seems mm-hmm. to 
he's the friend of all the world. He's not, you know, out for himself. Well, and and in that movie, he he decides to follow the llama for his own purposes at the beginning. Like it, he didn't right, turn that's... to fall to love the llama until later, which was again right. not just Kim. Yeah, and he steals also, a pair of glasses rather than uh, receive yeah. them, right? And uh, also, he's smoking, which is and stealing yeah, from the cops. Um, and yes, we know. I think he's, he does smoke in the book. Yes, so. uh, but on film, this is something like. Right. That's why this film right. is not promoted today. Right? Is that? Right. Uh, although, uh, did you note who played the the character, Misa? Errol Flynn. Uh, no, uh, I oh. meant Kim. Oh, Kim. Yeah. Was that Dean Stockwell? Dean Stockwell is a as a very small oh, child. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Yeah, <laughs> and when he put on the smile, never, never man, have, it's yeah. it's totally him. Otherwise, it's hard to tell it's him. But when yeah. he puts mm-hmm. on his smile, that's Dean Stockwell. Your brain is <laughs> twisting at that point. What? Hold on. Yeah, no, I didn't know until after the when the credits came up, and I was like, what? Yeah. Um, yeah. and Errol Flynn well, plays think... Ali, uh, the horse yeah. trader. Okay, you said Errol Flynn because I was going for some reason, and I've not seen it. Was it Gary Cooper who played the um that the, is the tra- what is he the sahib that no that's um that, the other Rudyard Kipling I want to say uh better man than I am Gungadin it says Gungadin you're thinking of oh okay right which is also which, uh, which is actually just... a much better movie I think mm-hmm. um not that I, I believe it yeah yeah it's yeah, that's why I'm thinking of him though so oh brain good one well the thing I liked about the book. Um, is that often today, and I love Kipling and came across his, you know, there's the, what is it? The, you know, the jungle book and various, uh, scary short stories that people have embraced Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And so it never occurred to me since I came across him fairly young to think about, how people now would go, Oh, he's, you know, so horrible racist. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, not taking into context the times and all these various other things. But what I like about this book, thinking about that, is it shows so much his love of India's diversity mm-hmm. and how much he appreciates by having Kim be part of this culture and able to move between all the different types of people and everything that you can see as a commentary I read said all races do the same thing in their own way and all have the same degrees of enlightenment or non-enlightenment which kind of to me kind of encapsulated what I was feeling from it there was a respect for everybody he came across depending on the context he met them in and what they were trying to do and that's not something that you see people ever mentioning. You mentioned Kipling, and this is what Neil Gaiman said because he was getting picked on because he loves Kipling. Mm-hmm. And people are like, don't you know he was awful like this and that? And he goes, I know he tells a hell of a good story. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he's, he's like, and I know the time he lived in. I can't worry about that stuff. How about this? And so this book vindicated a lot of that for me. Yeah. So it's it's very hard to understand people from a hundred years ago it's very hard to understand them if especially if you don't know anything about them and don't pay any attention to what they actually wrote down or said or anything like that so uh, if your only introduction to kipling is that he has a lot of race in his stories he lived in a time where race was the predominant topic of discussion right 
It's the thing mm-hmm. everybody's thinking about all the time. Why? Well, just look at this this place, this India, <laughs> and how yeah. caste is everything, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And caste is like race in a lot of ways, except it has even less to do with genetics than race does, which has almost nothing to do with genetics. Right. So right. you've got this system where you wear special clothing, you have a certain thing, and that entitles you to this kind of respect and that kind of respect. And you you can lord yourself above these people, but not above those people. And those people can lord yourself lord themselves above that. Right. All this stuff. What's so cool is that Kipling is interested in people, and he mm-hmm. himself did the thing that he, the the real racist people around him, not the ones like him, where he's dealing with this idea of race all the time, but the real racist people keep themselves away from the natives, keep themselves away from the lower classes, mm-hmm. um, even in their own society. He goes into those into those places and into those peoples and says, hey, what you got going on? What's going on here? This sounds interesting. I love the way you do this stuff. And that's what reading this book is like, right? Is we get to spend time with all of these different um, groups who have many merits that are similar and many merits that are different, right? Right. If if that's racist, call me racist. But I think this is a great book. And, and, and although yeah. it comes from a racist period and uses a lot of racist language, um, that is not to say that Kipling in this book is racist. I did not feel he was racist in this book. And and in the end, Kim chose the Indian way. Yeah. The white kid. So he loves the llama. Well, and um, and even we're oh, the Tibetan you know, way. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, it's not True enough. enough. It's True funny. Enough. It's funny that so much of this right. book uh, of India is seen through the eyes of or through, oh, but, yeah, but, a Tibetan. Yes, that's right. He's that's the true. he's the unusual character uh, along with Kim, right? That, but oh yeah, everyone is unusual, right? And that's the thing. There's and a lot of layers up, here. Yeah. Right. I was just gonna say he sets up, and sometimes in very small ways, the contrast between different, uh, it's the same group of people and how they'll look at something. Yep. So you have um, the so the two religious guys, the you know the Anglican and the Catholic priest. There's three of them, right? Because yeah. there's the Tibetan there well, too. Well, oh I'm yeah, a- but I was just thinking of the way they approach this little boy who now oh he's white. We need to take him out of this society, this Indian society, and we need to make him into a sahib, a white man. And but they both have a different approach. Both of them are benevolent in their intention. But they have very different ways of thinking about it and relating to the people Kim lived with and everything. And so those are just small touches, but they're there for us to see. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I think there so. was a, a, a some I don't was Kipling Catholic. He had some really cute things to say about Catholicism in that in those <laughs> scenes. Did you notice that? I'm uh, sure you did. Oh, yes, because I was looking at it going. The river of the arrow that the Lama's looking for. Man's desire for freedom from sin. Mm. This yeah. is all the Lama wants. And I'm like, as a Catholic, I'm just like, yes, this is confession, reconciliation. This is wanting to get as close to God as you can, like a saint would. And so I related to, I was just like fascinated by this non, this unrelenting desire for this. And everyone kind of went, oh, okay. You know. Well, I actually, I was, I was thinking of, there was a line when the two, the, there's the priest of the, the Protestant, uh, what is it called? Chaplain. 
and the Catholic mm-hmm. chaplain, right? And the Catholic, cha- and then there's a line by the author that says, in matters of uh, human affairs, um, the Protestant Church often turns to uh, the Catholic Church to uh, as a you know like what did you guys do <laughs> to solve this problem? Oh. <laughs> There's a line in there about that, and I thought that was just well, like a cute little. That was their origin. Yeah, <laughs> it's like well, well we're kind of new I, with this, so well, how do you guys solve this problem? You, you're, I you're didn't getting, notice well, that particularly. Oh, the thing I was thinking of though was when the Lama is talking when they first have encountered Kim and the Lama's there talking and trying to get things figured out about so they want you to go to school. What is this? And he's talking to people who don't know his language. Kim's translating mm-hmm. very loosely. Yeah. And um, but they said that the priest was someone who heard a lot of confessions. He understood pain when he heard it. Yes. And so he kind mm-hmm. of could understand the tone of the guy's voice and his intention, whereas the Anglican was kind of suspicious of him the whole time. Yes. So to me, I was like, yes, this this is a priest who cares about people then. You know, because he's heard stuff in the confessional. So that's the thing I picked up on. Yeah. But yes, you're right. <laughs> Goodness. It's, it's cute. Um, so, yeah, uh, the, it's interesting that the the you're, you're picking up a, the the Buddhist philosophy of this priest as sort of like, yeah, trying to avoid, trying to become pure. And of mm-hmm. course, they, they, uh-huh. there, there's a lot of connections in between this um one thing that one thing that's frustrating i think is we've got we've got so many things going on in the book and at some point those things are going on and we're not we don't see them until we're told so it's almost like that's why the film version i think can't work because Kipling's playing a sort of a game with us as well as playing the great game on the in the book. He's showing uh-huh. us things that are happening and then things are happening and then we're told about them after. Do y- you feel what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um the whole great game aspect of this book yeah. is yeah. that. And I I have a question. I don't know if I know the answer. Um I might have to look it up. Um it might be that Kipling coined this phrase and it became oh. true rather than the other way around. That oh, he's, okay. He's, and I think the, one of the reasons it might be true that way is because of the way it's being played by a child. How do you get a child to participate in a spy game? Well, you call it a great game, the, the greatest game, game great. right? But Mahubali called it that too. But is that and Kipling? So did, uh, the others. Is that Kipling? Uh, see, everything's in translation, right? This whole book isn't spoken in English, and, except for like a couple of oh. scenes, right? With the Protestant priest and the Catholic priest. The rest of it's it's in Hindi or uh, Urdu or something, right? And so we're. You mean this is not this no, was English? Is not the language this book was written in? <laughs> No, of course it was. No, and that's the flaw in what Jesse said. No, no. Well, like, look, think, ab- opinion. think about how uh, the uh, it, it comes across in the film as well. Um, it's the, right? It's not you. Yeah. They yeah, have this yeah. sort of language that is not, it's formalized to show that the, the relationship right, okay. is formalized. And okay, this says, 
It's it definitely the term, written in English. The great game was used well before the 19th century and was associated with games of risk. And then in 1840, the principal agent in Afghanistan mm. argued in a letter for the annexation of West something in Western Afghanistan and stated, yeah. we have a beautiful game on our hands. Mm. So the term the great game is attributed to Captain Arthur Connolly. 1807 to 1842, who had been appointed as a political officer mm. who wrote to a political agent in so Kandahar. Just exposing it to the public. You've got a great game, a noble game ahead of you, and that must be what everybody, and then everybody started using it yeah. in letters to each other. So, okay. But as yeah. a quote, quote unquote, the great game, um, I don't think. No, they were. Yes, but I don't think it was no. in the public consciousness until Kipling wrote this book. So. Um, it does say that here. He introduced it to mainstream consciousness. Right. So he's he's actually exposing the actual workings, right, of, <laughs> of the spy of system. A, of a spy system, and it's interesting because the British are always, you know, they're held up as uh, the premier spies in the world. This is why James Bond is a, you know, a phenomenon and other things. But um, this isn't the only part. The turning wheel, which is a a science fiction story that has as its consequence what would happen if if uh, the empire of the world was controlled by Buddhism, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's mm-hmm. not it's not a, a all all means a a hundred percent positive. There's another one, and I'm just trying to remember the name. Uh, it's Tim Powers, um, which we did on, oh. on this podcast, a book called Declare, and I did that with which Scott. is great book yeah yes. mm-hmm. and it explicitly uh references kim many times and kipling um, yeah, i need to reread it now that i've read kim because a lot of that i didn't catch you it's know? all about the or great don't game. remember it's all about I read it a long time you know ago. the yeah the russians and the british and uh trying to control asia right yeah though in the 60s i think yes and it, later it, time world period, war ii world war ii yeah and then, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and yeah. into the 60s. And, and, and it's a really good book. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it to be um, uh, brilliant at times. And also, you know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. At, at points, there's like, there's a, there's a few scenes in Paris where they're doing this sort of counting mm-hmm. magic that yeah. Uh, is just brilliant stuff, and then other times it's like a, just a regular novel that is sort of constructed. Um, but yeah, if I don't, I don't know, I don't know that that you can escape the time in which your book is published. But I, I wish Tim Powers mm-hmm. was alive at a different time because I think he's, even though he's writing Tim Powers books more than he's writing anything else, he he also is publishing in a period of time where there are a lot of conventions that I'm not a big fan of. So mm-hmm. I, I think a book suffers because of those conventions, um, which oh, might okay. be that it's just too long for the amount. Like if he, he, if he broke it up and I made it more about the world war two stuff and less about the, the spy stuff. And, and it's so good. I, I mean, don't know. Cause I liked that stuff. Cause I mean, I know now we're talking about a different stuff. book, yeah, but, but, but I liked that because I, you know, growing up in that time period and those spy novels of that sort were all around me. Yeah, no, I, I, so, I really like the spy stuff, but there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens after the war. That's sort of the, it just goes on a little bit too long with the, dupli- uh, and I love yeah, duplicate okay. stories and doubles and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It feels like he, he lost a bit of control. Um, and I, 
And and that's well, why it's not as amazing a book yeah. as it could be, I think. But Well, it's interesting you say that cuz I the first two times through felt that way about the end of Kim. Hmm. I did not care for it. Uh, you know, they go into the mountains and Kim has got his goal of finding or, you know, he's going along with, I can't remember the guy's name, the Babu, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. And he's supporting him. And then the Lama is looking for his river and he's like, okay, let's go to the North then. And they get to that part. And I like them exploring that part, but then they get to the part with the Russian spies and Kim runs out of strength and all these things. And yeah. I was always like, I'm tired now. I'm done. I, I should have quit reading. And But this last time was different. I didn't have that experience at all. Okay. <laughs> good. Go ahead. No, I was going to say this third time through was different. I was fully engaged. I It kept my attention. I was really into it. So I don't know. This has just been a difficult book. And it's funny when you keep struggling with a book sometimes. I had someone say, oh, I think if a book is too hard, you shouldn't read it. And I was like, I cannot tell you the number of really great books I would have missed if I had given up. That's true. I mean, <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, when, when Kim, when I thought Kim was, when, when Kim appeared to be dying, I was, you know, that was riveting. I was like, no. <laughs> you were on your knees in the backyard to the heavens. No. <laughs> bring him back, bring him well, back. Well, she tweeted me, she tweeted me something along those lines, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Why did you make me read this book? <laughs> but the interesting thing, but you're talking about how hard the book is, and 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 I did find it hard, and I did find it hard, and and I may, like I I don't know, I don't know if it, if it was hard because I was trying to read it fast to get through for the podcast, if it really was hard. But but then later I read people describe it as a kids book, and I was like, yeah. are you kidding me? Yeah. So like what's that? Yeah. And I tried to read it when I was a kid after reading The Jungle Book, and that was part of my problem, too. I was like, whoa, what happened? (laughs) No, thank you. I think we're just a lot weaker when it comes to reading than our ancestors. Our ancestors were, especially in the 19th century books, like, they're just much better at sustaining sort of uh, vigorous interest in sentences Mm -hmm. than we are. That's a good way to put it. (laughs) Because <clears throat> the way it's written, that's why it's hard to read Poe. It's because he has a whole paragraph that is one sentence and so many commas, and you don't know where the verb is until <laughs> quite deep into it. <laughs> and we're looking at it, we're yep. going, something's going on here. So what I do is I read it real slow and make my students read it with me. And I say, okay, now I don't understand. I'm stupid. Please translate that into English for me. And I give them yeah. all the vocab words. Yeah. And then as they read it through, they can get it. So it's not that we're incapable of it. We're just, I mean, this is, I saw, uh, again, I've been looking at Reddit a lot lately. And probably not for the better, but just (laughs) because it's something I've been ignoring and it doesn't seem to go away. And um, anyways, it's there. And I I saw somebody say, um, what books today that are written today will be uh, taught in school uh, in 20 years. Uh, and hmm. nobody had good answers, but one of, the, uh, one of the things that would happen is people would name a book, and then they would say, and somebody else would say, they're, they're already teaching that in school. And That's yeah. what happened to Jack London. Uh, uh, well, yeah, but what, wait. What? I know. That was way back. Sorry. No, Sorry. no. I, I mean, that's the, the thing today. is they stopped teaching him, right? So yeah, no, but I meant like in his lifetime. Oh, in sure. His lifetime. Sure. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, he yeah. was. Uh, yeah. 
Well, yeah. He was just popular. It was in his autobiography. Yeah, he but he's just popular, right? So Right. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. But but also he's he his writing can vary. So I'm going to do a short story of his called The King of the Maisie May, which is a uh, juvenile story. It's written for a magazine for kids. Um and they're young kids, you know, like 12 years old or whatever. But um in high school Today, they still teach 1984, they still teach Fahrenheit 451, they teach uh, yeah, uh-huh. um, the play um, uh, Importance of Being Earnest, they teach Shakespeare, yeah. right? Um, but they also teach, uh, um, and it's not all schools, but some schools teach, uh, somebody pointed this out, The Hunger Games and Harry Potter. Uh-huh. And like, yeah. Oh, and, okay. Um, yeah. But they, and there was are, some book that Rose candy, and I read. This is teaching candy. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Compared but they also to teach books like The Kite, though, the which kite is runner? not candy. The Kite Runner. Yeah, The Kite Runner. Kite Runner. Uh, I've read yeah. it. It's okay, but it's not. It's not dense. Not like this. No. 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 It's not. It's. No. It's good, but it's not dense. It's. It's sort of mainstream yeah, general fiction, except. I, except that's nonfiction, isn't it? Can't remember. Mm, or no, I think it's fiction. I think it's fiction about highly informed by non the person's yeah. life. Yeah. But the thing is, is that you're right, because what they're not doing is demanding the kids to dig deeper. I mean, it's okay to use it as, hey, reading can be fun. But the problem is, is now they're just catering to reading can be fun. And I cannot find the name of the book. I thought I'd written it down somewhere. But um, Rose and I were both reading a book recently, and she got done. And she was like, yeah, this is the kind of book that in – Two to three years, they're going to be teaching it because, oh, no, in fact, she was talking about Ready Player One. That was it, oh, which no. I couldn't Oh no! I couldn't get into. And she said I could easily see them teaching this in high school because it's got the right kind of overall message and they feel it'll keep kids' attention because it's trendy. Oh, and I was like, gosh. oh, crap, I think you're right. And I could never – I didn't care for it. Not that I hated it. I just found it boring, and so I quit and didn't care to pick it up again. So – I can't really make a comment on that, I, but I yeah, didn't, I, I explicitly didn't even try because I read about it and it sounded like the worst kind of book for me. Just, <laughs> just like, well, I just don't care about the eighties. I find them boring. And the fact that everybody now is like the eighties were amazing. And I'm like, no, I was there. It, it was fine. Amazing. was very interesting, especially looking at it from this perspective, but not from a, not from a let's remix everything and make it a game. Yeah, that, not a cultural. No. I remember Donna Summers. We don't need to go everywhere the 80s went. Well, okay? that's, that's what's so cool about this book is we're transformed back to a time period when there's almost some nobility to the colonial system, right? Yeah. Almost like yeah. there's something good about Like, <sighs> this is... This is almost... This is so uh, well, such a good propaganda for, for. That's right. I mean, like, I don't find this book racist, but yeah. but the way that the that it's that what's going on with the British is is made go- okay or good. Mm-hmm. That's the issue, I think. Yeah, because that's not what he was writing about. I think he was writing for one thing. This is one of the last things he wrote. I think so, it was certainly yeah. later in his career. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I picked up also and listened to about half of Plain Tales from the Hills, mm-hmm. which are a series of short stories that he wrote as a journalist to send back to England to be in the papers and things. And those are from the beginning of his career. 
And so what you've got are all these little stories, some tragic, some amusing, some scary about sometimes they're about natives, sometimes they're about the Raj, sometimes they're about the mingling of both. And you read those and you see much more clearly because he's only writing for the English and he's not trying to make a point about anything, really. Um, he's just trying to entertain and write a good story. And you'll see many more of the flaws of the system and the problems of the people interacting from India and the Raj exposed. Not because he wanted to, just because it was there. Yep. Here, he's making, I think, he's making a point of, I loved India here, all the things I love yep. about it. Uh, mm. We've this entertaining spy tale throughout it. And in and, and using that, you know, we're seeing a very focused point of view because not only is it Kim, but we're seeing as it Creighton is the yeah. the spy runner who's doing it. And he's obviously much more friendly to India than everybody else. He can speak the languages and disguise himself. But he also is kind of, you know, he's a an oddity right. to the people. It's But that's just on the periphery because that's not the point. Um but I would recommend playing Tales from the Hills, and LibriVox has it. It's well well enough read. Um, and it's on, I think Gutenberg has it, or free on the Kindle for that reason. Did you get a but. chance to, or did I even send you the uh, one we're using for this podcast? Adrian Fitzsell? <gasps> no, I knew about it, but I had the, is it Naxos? Um, yes, you, you were saying that you had a good one. I think that's why I did Oh my send gosh, it to you. yeah. If you have a credit on Audible or can get it a different way, that guy's reading is amazing. So this one we heard was pretty amazing too. It's pretty good. good. Yeah, I think he's Australian good. or something, so it's not a perfect accent for uh, you know an Englishman or a, mm-hmm. uh, oh, okay. an Indian. But he he's he does some voices and um and it's mm-hmm. well pronounced and and it's okay good yeah. So I, I mean I'll have to try it sometime then. I like to hear different readings of things. You know, it's so. important to uh, to really point out good stuff on LibriVox because most of the... I love LibriVox. I do too. And and although, you know, not everybody there is a professional. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're all amateurs by sort of uh, the, the purpose of the site. Um, a lot of people put in a ton of effort to make a, a really good audiobook. And if you're going to do a novel, you might as well do a good job, you know? They're yeah, not doing it for right. money. They're doing it for love. And uh, there's right. a lot of good stuff out there. Only thing I have to do is I have to go in there and make the volume better and sort of normalize everything. Um, sometimes that's they, they don't upload the best version, but that's okay. I yeah. do that for the listener. And uh, But you're going to put this out on the feed yep, for everybody? It's ahead of the thing we're talking on right now. Okay. Yep. I'm and, and I just haven't looked at the computer I have that subscribed to on. Um, but I'll have to be sure I get that then because I, I do like different readings and I, I would like to point that out. That's a big value. You get things from different people's readings, just Absolutely. like this conversation with yep. you guys, you know. There are interpretations that kind of make things ring true. Or like you talking about your class. Yeah. I wanna you know? I wanna point out how interesting Kipling's life is in terms of this book as well. <laughs> So yeah. Kipling is born in Bombay, right? And for the first five years of his life, he is uh, raised, I think I read, he, he thought of himself as a, hin- a Hindu. He spoke Hindi. He was uh, raised by, you know, the servants who he was spending all his time with while his parents are busy doing stuff, right? And his, mm-hmm. his dad, who also contributed the illustrations to this, the serialization and then the later book version um, was a 
famous artist at the time and also a designer like he did, uh, designed a bunch of buildings i guess uh, mm. architect or something but a really talented guy um kipling's dad who he he was constantly collaborating with his son with and um there's a, a really interesting liber uh not librivox uh, youtube uh a documentary on youtube about kipling's dad um oh yeah you put some pictures up from it maybe yeah yes i did um uh but also yeah. just he's he's a fascinating guy and and much more of a traditional racist than his son um yeah, although you know you just you know we are uh we're white people we're better than everyone else yeah um it, it, kipling obviously has some tension there but um that what's so cool about kipling is that he was the outsider amongst the white people. Um, yeah, because he had that horrible experience in boarding school when he was sent home. Right. Oh, my god! So, for the first five years of his life, he's he's uh, an Indian in every respect. He's born in India. He, he's hanging out with Indians all day. Um, he's, a, he's just a kid. He's basically a baby, though, right, until age of five. Yeah. Then he's sent away to boarding school for 11 years. When he comes back to India... He, he doesn't go to Bombay, where he was born. He goes to Lahore, which is now part of Pakistan. Um, and mm, So northern. Yeah, and no, a much hotter, uh, much drier. Uh, well, hotter okay. in some respects, but much drier area. Um, and apparently the nights were horrible. Like, just, uh, just the days are... Uh, terrible, and the nights are even worse because it stays hot all night. So he yeah. started... And his parents were gone. So he's sitting in this empty house with all the servants, um, having them splash water on him. And he's an outsider because he, he he has thick glasses. He can't see very well. His balance issues. He's short. Oh, right. Oh. So he and he's not an officer like all the British, the, the 70 people who run uh, Lahore. Right. The 70 uh, white people who run Lahore. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he starts taking night walks which is another tied to another author who uh, I do a lot of on this podcast, which is Lovecraft, right? But instead of yes. just going and looking at the architecture uh, in the city, he goes into the city, and instead of everybody being asleep, right, everybody's awake. That's when the night comes to life, right, in Lahore. Is, is That's where you come out of the heat of the day, and you go on to the heat of the night, and yeah. he starts he starts taking drugs, opium, smoking opium, and uh, watching the um, the native antics, <laughs> getting involved in it. And he becomes this bridge between the mm-hmm. white people who don't ever go there or do any of that stuff, who are just there to make money and control the place, and the people who he sees as vibrant and fascinating. Um, and it's and that's you totally feel that in this book. And he mm-hmm. he apparently wrote as well about his own experience as um, in one of his uh, biographies, uh, autobiographies uh-huh. that he that's fascinating. Yeah, that he he felt as if he was a prince returning to his own land, right? Hmm. In the way that a lot of the 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 British Raj, uh, or not the British Raj, but the the regular rajas and maharajas are sent right. to Eton, right? And then they come back with a, uh, an Etonian accent and also consider themselves wholly Indian, right? He felt well, the exact also, same way. 
that he, he was yeah, an outsider and, in England, and then he comes back here, and the only way he can fit in is to be one of the Indians. Yeah, and, and also, he was um, abused when he was in boarding school. So he, I, if if I'm remembering the right person, I mean he, and he never complained because he's like you know when you're a kid you don't think to complain, right. but he wasn't like you know he was always treated badly, he wasn't fed enough, all these things, and finally an aunt or a family friend I think came to visit him at a holiday and went oh my gosh, you're dying and took him away and right. took care of him. Yeah, so right. he had he'd had the experience that you know a lot of indians might have had going and going this is a horrible place and no one's treating them nicely that at all that happens in this book too yeah right exactly yeah. and he's tended by a, a, a he he wants to call her mother and then he changes it mm-hmm. to sister he should have said yes. aunt. <laughs> auntie yeah oh yes auntie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as we know from indian movies auntie <laughs> yes i like it Okay, um, we better fix this lull here. <laughs> oh, I was waiting for you to go on with his fascinating. No, life. that's that's about all I got. Uh, I mean, he's he's a fascinating guy. I've done a bunch of shows on um, his his. Uh, we did a, a poem uh, of his called "The Secret of the Machines." I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that poem? It's vaguely uh, no. because I liked I like his poetry. Yeah, he's good. He's good. He's got a bunch of stuff. Um, so the secret of the machines is uh, it's it's actually was seems to have been p- first published in a in a school book, um, and oh. it's it's told from the point of view of machines like um, steam donkeys and railroads and ra- you know railroad engines and um, windmills and all the all the things that run uh, modern civilization, and it says you know we are the machines this is what we do. But you better watch out because we don't care if you get caught in our gears, right? Right. And and this we power civilization, right? And it's if you read it just the right way, which is the way I like to read it, it's it's the story <laughs> of robots, right? Because yeah, it, it's it's so interesting that he he actually was a science fiction writer. He's not thought of it yes. that way, but he did write some science fiction, and um and that's fascinating, right? It's uh, it, yeah. he's a real inventor of many kinds of writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had that imagination that would just go in all directions. There's another one I did a show on, uh, on reading short and deep, uh, called "The Mark of the Beast," and I'm oh yes, that's that an amazing story. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Um, and it's it's kind of a Micey, you probably haven't heard of this one, but. It's uh, it's kind of a werewolf story. Yeah. Uh, oh. But the werewolf's oh, yeah. not a werewolf. It's um, kind of a tiger, kind of, or a panther. Right. Um, Which makes sense. It They're does. in India. They're in India. And yeah. When when we when we read the um, the other one, the werewolf story, they when I was doing research, they said that in India or in, or in other countries, it is a were tiger or a were uh, whatever. Right. Depends on what country you're in. Right, so in in that story, in Mark of the Beast, you have uh, some British drunkards who think it's hilarious to go into a Hindu temple and defile one of the gods. (sighs) Yeah. Um, He puts his ash uh, of his cigar out on the forehead of the god, and then they laugh Mm. about it and break things. And and the priest, who seems to be suffering from some terrible... um, disease 
which he is, um, <laughs> we are thought to think that it's um, that it's uh, leprosy. Um, and he's called right. the Silver Man. And that's right. And the Silver Man bites one of these officers, and of course, this is the way you get leprosy, right? Um, <laughs> is by transmission of blood or a bunch of other ways, but that that's one of them. And so w- this drunkard goes um, sort of barking mad <laughs> in a certain sense, after, and they lock him up, and out in the in the grounds there's something stalking and it's it's terrifically interesting sort of retelling of the werewolf story the european werewolf story but with um you know the setting of being colonial india and he wrote a lot of kind of weird tales Mm -hmm. like that about with a setting in india and he actually wrote one that i read on forgotten classics called My Own True Ghost Story. Mm, and it's actually a humorous one. Yeah, he's it comes got a to this great abandoned sense of humor. Place. Huh? He's got a great sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. And it's basically, it's, um, I did it, oh, I guess not that long ago. Uh, January 2017. Anyway, um, but yeah, he goes to this place that's, he's spending the night there and it's supposed to be haunted. He's heard the stories, but he doesn't believe in that kind of thing. But in the middle of the night, he's hearing all this stuff going, oh, holy crap, somebody's playing billiards next door. There's no one here. Now I'm hearing voices. And then the next morning he finds out everything that was going on. But um, yeah, it's, he's, he just wrote all kinds of stuff. He's, I think of him like I think of Dickens. Differently, That's, of course. But. There's something similar about them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they're same period, right? Um, but they're yeah. also t- yeah. telling the story of the people rather than mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, uh, I want to point out there's another one by him that's pretty uh, pretty famous. The Phantom Rickshaw. Have you heard of this story? Oh, that's the one I was thinking of. I couldn't remember the name. Yeah, that's a great one, too. Yeah. Uh, in that collection is my own true ghost story. Um, okay. Uh, so basically this there's a ghost of a rickshaw. And uh, <laughs> a rickshaw is... I just love it. Yeah, it's like, uh, what's so strange about that? I think they covered it on um, on HP Podcraft. Yeah, they did. And yeah, there's it's it's not just a ghost of a guy. It's a ghost of a... Of the horses, or at least the the guy and the and the um, and the cart as well. So the cart is also a ghost. Um, That's cool. And yeah, it's yeah. he's he's really got um, he's got uh, he came out of the newspaper business, right? So that learning to write for the newspapers thing that Mark Twain, mm-hmm. I guess, also had. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's yeah, I guess he's the Mark Twain of India, is a good way of putting it. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I dig it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just in it, in you know, each in their own individual ways. So um, the other thing I like is among the cast of thousands mm-hmm. is um, when he focuses on someone, he rounds out the characters. So Mahubali, I didn't really care about at the beginning, mm-hmm. but by the end of the book, I love him. Yeah. You know, this horse trader, because he cares about his little friend of all the world, which is what Kim is called. That's and But he also is wise in the ways of the game. And you fi- as, you, as it goes on and you find out he is not just a tool of Creighton, he knows about the network. And they're all working together. And um, I like that. And I think you see it most, of course, in the llama, mm-hmm. 
because when he's we meet him and he's like, oh, I know about the terrain. Well, he doesn't know as much as he thinks, but he knows I get the paper and they punch it and I do, you know, this and that. And then as it goes on and he's arranging for Kim's schooling, you find out, oh, wait a minute. He's not just some wandering wise man who interested Kim because he's so different. He's got real influence where he came from. He's got access to lots of money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's funny he's, he's going around begging, man. but it's kind of his job to beg rather than he needs to beg. Yes, it gives great it's, merit yeah. to it the people I beg from. Yes, <laughs> which is another, if you don't mind me saying, it's another Catholic uh, connection in terms of begging people who are begging and giving them money. Is it's about your intention, not about if they're worthy of it or not. Mm. You know, and so in the last four days, or there were four days in a row where I was hit up at every corner I stopped at, and eventually I ran out of money. Yeah. But um, I was like, and I was going, oh, I'm like the llama. I'm I have an inner unworthiness because I'm like, damn it, I don't want to give here here take this ten dollars. And I'm like, that's not the right way to do it. You know, <clears throat> I'm not earning any merit, so to speak, which is you're not supposed to earn merit. It's about you, of course. Um, it's kind of helping develop you into a better person, essentially. But there was uh, a massive anyway. tradition of this in Europe, right? The oh, giving alms oh, yeah. thing was yeah. something that I mean, it's we one don't... of the three wings of prayer. Saint, um, I think it's Thomas Aquinas says, or if not him, Saint Augustine, and it's you know fasting, prayer, and alms giving. The, the idea of the poor are always mm. with us is like. It seems yeah. to be like a uh, a truism. Like it's it's not like a this is great. It's just like this is something we always have to deal with. This is something right. that was omnipresent. You know, if you watch the old movies uh, set a thousand years ago, there's always somebody on the road who's who's uh, begging. And mm-hmm. and the thing is, is that's true today too, right? It's just yeah. we don't make it the focus of our of our our world in the way that they did seemingly well yeah and the idea is of course if you're only you know it's that same thing if you're only giving to the people you know and you're like oh and they'll do this with it that's what's the point of that you should help them anyway you know them it's these people who come up to you and need something and you don't know who they are or why but they've come to you they need something right so in in the terms catholic terms do you see christ in them right would you give this to him so it's I, I found that connection in both the way people treated the Lama and the fact that he's like, I'm giving them great merit. I'm going to allow them to give things to me. And so he just kind of lived that way. It's interesting. Trusting. Uh, yeah. When so the, la- when the Lama sends, uh, well, allows the boy to be sent off to be trained in the ways of the Sahib, mm-hmm. um, I, I was like, what's going on here? And then it pays off so well with yeah. him being becoming a healer. Right. Oh yeah. I think yeah. That that's just like a really interesting twist that I didn't see coming. Because not only is he given a gun, right? <laughs> this boy is given a, a revolver and told, you know, you, you, I, I put it in the caliber of the military so that you could always find bullets. You're gonna need <laughs> bullets. <laughs> so, wow. Okay. Um, and also he's given a box with uh, healing things, and then he. He goes around healing people, and that's like, this is a real issue, right? He, uh, Kipling Mm -hmm. himself, suffered from all sorts of, I mean, the reason 
he's talking about quinning all the time is because everybody's taking quinning all the time because they really don't want to die. And people need it. They're asking the llama to make make a charm for this disease, make a charm for it. And he's like, the charms don't do anything. Mm -hmm. But then he'll equivocate. Which is the other thing I love is he's he's always going, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But, you know, and I was like, I like that this very holy llama who's so important and so high up and on this very high quest, he's continually still struggling, too. And this, I shouldn't have done this, but I love my chela. This is what I think you know? we will find when we get to our, our Heinlein novel, Citizen of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. I think this is what we will find to be lacking in our I, in our uh, equivalent character it'll be the modern problem right well mm. Heinlein's old men the old wise men who guide the the younger um, main character ge- generally um tend to be pontifical and less self-doubting and yet Should when they do self, self-doubt they suddenly collapse right right what, what did you shouldn't say? we save it for the podcast oh yes Justin. absolutely i'm just saying <laughs> This is my anticipation. It may not be what actually happens, but no, I I, can, yeah. I, I read Citizen Galaxy. I was thinking first, the same so thing. So I'm just thinking like, uh, how will this be different in the reread? Because mm-hmm. I, I have no idea that it was based on Kim. Uh, that that whole section of the book was was a re- reconstruction of something. Only thing. Yes, yeah, some of it. First yeah. time I heard about Kim was when my grandmother was going on and on about it. Uh, and I'm like, why is she talking about this? Well, she had just finished reading the book, I guess. And there was oh. a TV show. Uh, I, I tried to track down the original huh. TV movie that came out in 84. Um, and they, that seems to have disappeared from the internet. It might be on DVD somewhere. But it's it, it sort of came and went. But there was a TV movie that was quite long that I think uh, had Peter hmm. O'Toole as the llama. <laughs> Which, I read it. which would be strange, but um, my my yeah. grandmother seemed to think this book was really cool. But I was a, I was way too young to read it. I guess uh, uh, right. I don't know. Maybe maybe it, if it was a hundred years ago, I wouldn't have been. But <laughs> is this a children's book? Really, was... do you think? No, I agree. No. What were you saying, Misa? Though oh, I said my my friend's brother is named after Kim. Right. Oh, really? So yeah, I like it. Kimball O'Hara. <laughs> His full name is Kimball O'Hara. Yeah. <laughs> so, Misa, what did you, um, did you have things that you thought about this book that we haven't brought up? Uh, um, no, nothing that, we haven't, nothing that we haven't brought up. Um, I I was just I was very interested in in Kim and the choices that he made once he once he understood his place in society because at first he didn't really he didn't really know what he was but but once he did um the the that he chose to stick with with um the ways that of of his childhood as opposed to going mm-hmm. you know that the English couldn't the English couldn't take it out of him or 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 switch him it's it's interesting because that's not the way Kipling goes, right? He he goes the right, other way. and then Kipling spent the rest of his life outside. That's right. Right? He wrote from uh, England, I think. Yeah, and America. Uh, yeah, he and became a dean of a lived university in Vermont, and, I think, for a while. Yeah, and and yeah, he traveled all over the world giving lectures, but um, he didn't, you know, he didn't sport Indian garb, right? He's not right. traveling the world as an Indian. He's traveling the world as a colonial 
Well, he's married, so there's that too. You know, <laughs> that helps too to cement you in whichever place you choose. Sure. Um, yeah, that's well. And also, you know, you do get the indication he could have gone the other way because when he's in school, it's like, oh, he started thinking like a white man, or, you know, using English when he was thinking and, and thinking in these certain ways because he had to be able to do it to do math and all that sort of thing. And he uses mm-hmm. that, of course, against when the guy's trying to hypnotize him. Mm, yeah, that was a yeah. weird scene. Yeah, it was a weird scene. I was like, what's going Oh, he's trying to hypnotize him? And the, and yeah. the thing is, is that the hypnotism doesn't seem to work that way, right? It seems to work the opposite right. way. Um, so I was like, that that scene threw me for a loop because I, I I wasn't sure what was going on until I figured it out, and then I think, oh, I see, okay. But he's saying that uh, he's saying that it's easy to hypnotize everybody. This boy wasn't unhypnotizable, right? But actually, because, it's yeah, because he was double brained, right? The reverse is like. It seems well. Um, I've what never been hypnotized. Ver- so the oh. thing about hypnotism is really interesting. I've read a lot about it. Never had it done, obviously, but it seems to work like it's hypnotic ability is the ability to let yourself play the game that you're being hypnotized. It's very strange. Yeah. yeah, if you resist, then so if you're not you, interested in but... doing it, it won't happen to you. But if you're mm-hmm. interested in doing it, absolutely will happen to you. But yeah. uh, to me, that's like, um, it's like uh, kind of like the roller coaster, right? The people who want to go on the roller coaster go on the <laughs> yeah. roller coaster. And the people like me who've been on the roller coaster and never want to go on the roller coaster again <laughs> don't want to go on the roller coaster, right? Yeah, the people who right. want to go on the roller coaster go on and then they go, ah, they're falling, right? That's why you go. And, and that's saying. why I don't go. <laughs> yeah. Because right. when I go on there, I want to not be on there. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> right. those people are getting on there to have it happen to them. So I know. That, now I get dizzy when I go on it. So I it's so sad to me that I can't do it anymore. Yeah, like I, I feel like I'm going to yeah. die and then I get off and I throw up, right? So oh, that's why yeah. I'm not going on <laughs> Cause... Your inner ear. And that's me now. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's, a, there's something... There's something about it being, you know, uh, a, you want to, the only people who dance like a chicken on st- stage are the people who want to dance like chickens on stage. They're, they're going to, yeah, they, they're interested in um, just kind of letting go and seeing what happens. Yeah, and also participating and being a part of the yeah. center of the stage and taking the spotlight. And I'm like, no one's getting in my head. Yeah. I'm it, done doing what you want. But uh, also it's kind of like the Girls Gone Wild videos that they used to advertise. <laughs> On TV, you know, they say, show us your tits, right? And then they do. Well, the, that the, they only show the right. videos where it worked, right? Right. They never show right. the ones where, like, I'm not doing that, you asshole. How dare right. you suggest such a thing? Yeah. <laughs> or they turn their backs. It's, it's very, uh-huh. um, uh, we get a biased picture, right? That's true. And so, yeah, that part I was, uh, but they're still working these things out. I mean, that's. Hypnotism. Oh, on hypnotism and so yeah, forth. At the yeah, time, they didn't know what it was, and and uh, just like we don't know, we didn't know that smoking was as bad for you <laughs> right. as it is in the 19th century. We knew by the 1950s absolutely that it was bad for you. Yeah, but by yeah. In, in 1882, in in 1900, some people thought that you smoke and it helps your lungs and and keeps out you know viruses and bacteria well, not viruses but you know 
kept out yeah. bad stuff. And yeah. it certainly keeps people away from you because you stink. Uh, <laughs> Not when they all do it. They can't even tell. I know. That's the thing, right? It's true. Is everybody back then must have stunk <laughs> real bad. Get on that smoking go, oh. car and everybody's smoking up a storm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. It always looks good. The chewing but, tobacco. Yeah. It, it would have been a very mm-hmm. scented, oh, scented area. I just... Yeah, kissing somebody oh who'd God. been... Oh, blah, with those blah, big, With those big mustaches back then? <laughs> <laughs> Strainers, they were called. <laughs> and straightening. Mutton chops and... Oh, my God. Full of mutton. Layers and layers of clothing. Oh, my had goodness. A weird, weird, weird lifestyle back then. It's not even that long ago. It's what it... It was what it was, you know? And think for... for Thousands and thousands of years, there was nobody as clean and, except for the Japanese, I suppose, mm-hmm. the clean and odor-free as we were. So, you know, it's we can't say that. Everybody had a problem then. There's a few lines in this book like that where um, it says, oh, yeah, there was a line in there that says, uh, the Asians don't go much in for kissing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Which I didn't think about, but I bet I, bet I knew that before. Um, so when you're, we're thinking like, uh, if we're thinking of a r- romantic drama set in China, in, in <laughs> were rubbing noses or whatever. there's this couple and they never kiss and they, and if they were filming that today, even in China today, I bet they would kiss. Oh yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, the, and they, times change. Yeah. It's weird. Those conventions change things, right? Mm-hmm. People, things that we just don't think about absolutely it just sort of creeps in and you don't even know it was there you know where it came from or how it got there you just it's what your parents did or it's what you're doing you know it's it's a whole weird world that's always changing and and that's why i i was thinking about what a call this effect when you see you you take some guy who wrote a book in the late 19th century published it and then the book's sit, still sitting there. It's almost like it's a, it's the bones. It's the uh, fossil of a it particular um, mm-hmm. period. And it doesn't tell us anything other than what it's telling us. But it has so many indications in different directions that we could see where that animal that existed back then sort of evolved later into something else. And and becoming being a book reader of of things are, that are old like that. Even I I think I read a book yeah with you Misa very recently mm-hmm. uh, Dragon's Egg right a relic yes. from the 80s where they have the Soviet Union in 2020 and they're uh, worried about the space program budget and getting ru- enough rubles to pay for computer time right right <laughs> it's like this is a relic of a period though connected to ours is totally disconnected because of how it cannot evolve. It is a snapshot of it a is. period. It is. It's an amber. It, it's yeah. not mm-hmm. an amber. And so what we do when we look at old books like this is we're like comparing little <coughs> photographs and trying to make a picture of reality. And we can actually get a pretty good idea of what things are like. But unlike a photograph, a book like this can really give you a sense of almost what it smelled like on those streets and the colors of the saris. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. that is invaluable, right? Much more than the cover price of the original price or the price it's now. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's absolutely yeah. invaluable experience 
and you you're edified, right? That's the great word I use. Made greater by having read such a book. That's true. And the other thing, Jill, you asked me what I, I was not expecting this to be <coughs> meditation on life and existence mm-hmm. as it was. <laughs> like <laughs> it really was. I didn't I did not see that coming when I started it. Yeah, I, but I didn't it, really have any expectations, but it certainly didn't live, live live up to any of them because I didn't know what to expect and this is a very unexpected uh, sort of journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a tour yeah, it's, of India. Well, and it is, and it's, you know, because it's funny because the thread of the great game is there to kind of keep things moving forward and it makes it interesting and it is a reflection of the kind of thing that was going on there. It's just one more layer to India, but I was struck by the idea that the two people he picks to go through this are so different. There's such extremes, mm-hmm. even within the Indian culture, right? Yep. Where Kim knows everything, but they're held together by love. And that's why the Lama tells this story of the elder and younger elephant twice. Mm-hmm. Because we are there to, I mean, he has now reflected on this. He has now learned and realized, oh, I thought I was helping you, but I realized I was chained by something that I needed you to help me work free from. That's right. It took and him. Yeah. Right. And he's continually meditating upon it. The Lama is. And that's why he brings it up more than once. Because um, the second time I'm like, well, we know the story. And I'm like, wait, this is about the Lama. It's not about what I know. He's reflecting on it to Kim again. Kind of this is how he's expressing not only his inner thoughts, but his gratitude to Kim and what Kim means to him. And so this he's searching for one thing. Kim's searching for he doesn't even know what. And as his goals become something different they still are held together by their bounds of love. And at the end, when he has found his river of the arrow, he's like, well, now I don't have to be here anymore. I could stay in the river, but <laughs> is it the Bob, the Babu, what is his name? He pulls him out or whatever. And he's yeah. so mad and he goes, except I realize this is what I'm to do with this. Now that I'm set free, I'm going to do this for you too. You know, we're going to travel together as long as I can. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a beautiful, it's this, you're, you're talking about, you know, it's this reflection on human existence and transcendence and everything, but this is where the book ends. And this is why it has to go to this place. He has to realize what Kim means to him too. Kim already knows what the Lama means to him. I, and it's with the journey we're all on together. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's another issue. I, I even worried about it, tweeting it. And I don't think I did because I just don't, want to deal with all the idiots who might see it. Um, If you look at the original publication of almost any Kipling book, um, it always starts with a swastika. Oh, for good luck. Yeah. So in 1911, there's a a 1919 version of a book, uh, you know, and it has an elephant and a a swastika. It's not the Nazi. it, It is the Nazi symbol, but not in the right direction. Right. Yeah, they co-opted it. Well, for, the, the thing the is, is Aryan is about sort of the people of a certain part of India, right? It's a top left-hand corner, sort of this idea that there's a people who migrated out of there and blah, blah, blah. So they, right. they, they, it's, they are co-opting it. They're taking it as their symbol. But they actually, in World War I, uh, pilots used this as a symbol on their airplanes as a good luck. Right on oh, right. both sides of the war. So there was okay. uh, British, French, American, 
um, and and uh, German airplanes with that symbol on it had had not been adopted as a Nazi party symbol at all. Um, but right. even one of the plates um, by uh, a photograph of one of the uh, bas relief uh, sculptures has our llama with Kim behind him, um, and on the bowl, the begging bowl, is a swastika uh, uh, with a lotus leaf uh, behind oh. it. And the thing is, is you, you look in that, you might say, oh, my God, he's begging for Nazis. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but this right. sort of symbolism is everywhere at this period, right? So t- thinking about how racism is an issue uh, or just thinking about race all the time, even the cover of McClure's magazine, the original uh, first issue where the first part of the story is in December 1900 has a Christmas cover that's unrelated to the story within it just says at the top Richard kipling's new novel and then it says christmas and there's two babies holding up a sign and on the <laughs> sign is a circle inside the circle is the star of david and inside of that is the iron cross you know wow the, okay and so you've got all of these symbols just packed in right mm-hmm. and the thing is is a circle we know we don't normally think of it as a symbol but it is a symbol and so is a, is that Star of David, and so is that Iron uh-huh. Cross, and the swastika. All of these are these, these designs are symbols, and they can pack a ton of meaning. But if you don't look at them in their proper context, you, like this whole book, right? Yeah. Then you have to do an, a later publication of a Kipling novel uh, without that swastika, because people think it's Nazis, <laughs> right? And he's not a yeah. Nazi. He's not about killing yeah. millions of people. He's not about fascism. He he is a colonialist. He has a lot of good things to say about uh you know, uh, colonialism. Um, and he also has a lot of good things to say about the the simple, honest folk at the bottom of every society. You know his mm-hmm. his, his 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 poem uh, Gunga Din is not a an attack on yeah. any yes. any low person it's an attack on uh the attitudes of people who take other people for granted right and mm-hmm. uh it's it's that's the message i received from this book is that there were good people back then and one of them was kipling and and the way he viewed viewed uh india as sort of a delight and a place mm-hmm. of wonders and a very different culture than the one that, he, you know, we received, I guess. And that yeah. is why it's such a delight to read it. And then, you know, once you can kind of get through it the first time and then go back, and that's why I wanted to read it in print, because I was like, I want to really kind of slow down, which is not my style, mm-hmm. and kind of linger on all these descriptions of the great road mm-hmm. that, everybody wanted to get back to all the time and all the things interacting because you know that's what he loved mm-hmm. yeah but again uh, at the end right the, the everybody's slowing down right the road can't go ever on and yes and there are other books to read but uh, when your legs fail you um, <laughs> you, you might find the river in your own backyard. Yeah. That's what that was oh, the same, Dorothy. right? It was, it was right there, just like Dorothy's That's shoes. That's right. Yes. <laughs> That's a good one. 
the Wizard of Oz, except that you in led India. me to the river. Yeah, of course, because he himself has changed enough. Exactly, exactly. That, he had the river. Yeah, exactly. Right. You had it inside you all the time. That's right. That's true. <laughs> Which you know, it goes back to the our inner intentions and how we're continually, hopefully, striving to be better and more than what we are. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. We've been such a long time. I know. I know. What was the last time you guys talked? Oh, my gosh. I do not know. I guess I can search. Find (laughs) out. Is it that important? Isn't was it, it the just? I don't know. I think I don't it might have been go- the ghost story, um, with the brother oh, and sister. You, I think you're right. Oh wow, that was a long time ago. It was a long time well, ago. When... I'm... I haven't been on for a long time though. That sounds. Uh, right. But I was on after that. Was that before without... Christmas? Yeah. What did we do? It what wasn't was the, the name of that story. one? I can't even remember. I don't. Uh, uh it's. Was oh it was uh the man who was Thursday oh yeah that uh, T K Chesterton the one that Scott later was like you liked that you could so? understand Were you on it? that one I was no. not yeah it was Brian and Paul are you getting my mic I hope yeah we're we're hearing you okay all right what'd you say <laughs> <laughs> hey. uninvited there it is <laughs> wow. That was a long time ago. I was just so ago. excited when I was checking on Twitter. I went, Misa, oh, yay. Oh, yay. Are you going to also do Citizen of the Galaxy then? Yes. Definitely. Sweet we deal. We don't have a for that, do we? Uh, I, I didn't look into the audio for that yet. Uh, oh. But I'm sure it exists somewhere. I will. I right. If it doesn't, I'm going to have to uh, storm the best deal. And... Yeah, there's there's a good version um, from Audible. Hmm. But you know it's still in copyright and so forth. So oh, well, we'll see. We'll see what. Well, I think. I mean, it, it's probably from not made by Audible, though, is it? Oh yeah, it might be Blackstone yeah, or somebody like that. They're usually good. Yeah. And Downpour is where I get stuff. That okay. Works. Yeah, I didn't look. I uh, I just uh, it came up on one of those sale things, like mm-hmm. you know, buy one get one free, and I went, oh. I love it. Let, how about listening to it? And I I got partway into it, and then we started talking. And I was so like, okay. It, the, it doesn't say when we recorded it, but it came out October 2nd. Uh, so it probably was the summer. Um, the Uninvited. Yeah, oh, yeah. Summer, yeah. It's it probably late summer, August, or something like that. So it's been a year, almost? Uh, not quite, but it's, yeah. Not it's, quite. I said almost. More than six months, for sure. Too much. Too long. Too much. Was this your idea? Mm. This one? Just- <laughs> it was a collaboration. Yeah. That's usually yeah. how they are. But right. I, I've, seen a, I've seen a bunch of um, things that make me want to... I'll save it for the podcast, but things that oh. sort of led up to it. Oh, okay. Oh, I can't wait. Here. <laughs> well, because, it, yeah, and it's because um, I had said, let's do Citizen of the Galaxy, which is my favorite Heinlein. Oh, and save it for the podcast. Because I, oh, I can't say it twice. No, you can't. Uh, oh, I'll, I can. I'll be, sh- I, I'll be bored this second. Scott and I do it all the it time. It must be fresh. Yeah, Scott and it, I do it all the time. Fresh. I keep it fresh, baby. Keep it, keep fresh. it fresh, sister.
And yeah. I think I oh, saw yeah. somewhere on, was it Scott retweeting it or something? Uh, you were on what? some sort of TV show? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's this little Catholic, you know, there's this Catholic network called EWTN, Eternal Word Network. Okay. Which I watch. But um, anyway. Who watches TV? <laughs> well, also, who watches? People do watch it, though. I, I'm like the Catholic channel. People would try to get me to watch it. And I was like, oh, uh huh. No, thank you. And, um, they have, there's this long standing show. I mean, I think it's been going on 20 years where it's, uh, you know, you tell your conversion story. It's called oh, The right Journey there. Home. Right, right. Yeah. And I had, I came out with my last book and I had to, you know, I had to self publish. And so I managed to get on this, um, like a morning Catholic radio morning show. And the guy who was the host told these people, oh, you should have her on. So it was, uh, mm. that was a nice compliment, you know. And so they flew me up to Zanesville, Ohio, oh, and I did it. Nice. Yeah. And so it's not the kind of thing that you guys would care about at all, but it did it did get a lot of compliments. It came off well. So that was the nice thing, you know. I'm just interested go- in, in things in general, so. Oh, well, you could watch absolutely watch it. I believe Jesse Willis's name gets mentioned toward the end if they didn't have a cop. <laughs> I haven't watched well, it. Well, now I gotta I, watch it. Well, I know. See what Julie Scott said was about like, me. My name was said. <laughs> There's one guy on the internet. Oh man, he gets me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah. If that that that's what it takes to get you to sit through my conversion story, Jesse, I did I've heard it. Your conversion story. I've <laughs> that's heard not why, but it just before. came out. I'm um, gonna shut my. That's interesting. Um, okay, so I I was just looking up. Um, uh, You're always. Friendly atheist when I uh, talk about you to oh, people of faith. Relatively friendly. <laughs> yeah. Friendly atheist, relatively by the way. Friendly. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> the ones you run into are the ones who are like angry and yelling at you. So, uh, you know, I'm being, that too, but but uh, not not not, not about not about your religion. Just, just usually about yeah, well, Kaku or some sort of uh, back at you, man. Yeah, some sort yeah, of thing on so, the internet. We're fine. Um, I did find a. Uh, a Kipling story that I hadn't heard of um, oh. called The Recrudescence of Imre, which is probably why I haven't heard of it before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it turns out that it's a story by uh, Kipling about, it says, a British army officer in India moves into the residence of another officer who has disappeared and solves the mystery of his disappearance. Oh, I actually, maybe the classic tales did that? Yeah, or could be. I've heard, Yeah. So the um, tags for it on ISFDB include Livervox, which is good, Snakes, mm. Superstitious Native Race, First Person mm. Point of View, Realism, The British Raj, Murder, and Dog. <laughs> <laughs> Who can resist this? Yeah. No one. That's right. Um, except it's even better because, turns out, my old dead friend, uh, Greg Marguerite, Greg? did a version of it. That's maybe that's where I heard it then. And, uh, so I might do that for uh, reading short and deep. Um, nice. Because we're always mm-hmm. looking for short stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm really into Kipling at the moment. I guess. You yeah, just in Kipling because of the Jack London thing. Okay. Like listen we better to start, that. Jack- we better start the podcast here. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. We're getting all our excite all all our excitement. Uh, Okay, I need to make myself a note to mention Plain Tales from the Hills. Have you read that, Jesse? No, but um, I'm going to... Recording's already started. Just making a note. We'll just um, get started and... uh, Tales from the Plains. Oh, crap. What's it called? Where's my iPad? Wait. 
You go on talking. I'll be back in a minute. Okay. There's a um, uh, e-text version I'm going to send. Of the one you're talking, the new one that you're going to do for Short and Deep? No, 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 no. Save that for another. Oh. Uh, Just Kim. Oh, I. You know what I found it on uh, Gutenberg Free Press. Oh, okay. This that'll work too. This is um from Wikisource, so it has the illustrations. (gasps) That's way better. But it's not all in one page, which is not as good. Hmm. Okay. And this only has one of the sets of illustrations. Okay. You got sorry. Your, you got don't need the iPad. channel. You know, Bob's Burgers. <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for you. The only thing I know about Bob's Burgers is the guy who voices Bob is also the guy from Archer. Archer. Yeah, that's oh. all I know about it, too. Yes. And when I started watching Archer, I was like, I'm having the hardest time. He's just like Bob when he's maniacal, not Bob when he's calm. And I'm like, I can't divorce Bob from this guy, though. Considering the show, I should be able to. <laughs> Very different. It is a very different show. <laughs> oh yeah, um, hilarious, but so crude. It uh, yeah. it starts off really tough. It's very hard to get through the first episode, and then yeah. by the end of the first season, I'm like, this is the greatest show ever. <laughs> Bob, really? Yeah. No, no, not is... Bob. The Archer. Oh, Archer. Oh yeah, no, Archer's okay. brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah. Bob's Burgers is also good. Um, and uh, well, that's how we felt about Silicon Valley, mm. which. We watched the first one, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, the crudest thing I've ever seen. Because, you know, you can't make comedy for young men without having it be super crude. But the, all the tech stuff, my husband was so entertained because they had it all right. Yeah, I watched And I watched so it. when they're making – yeah. So we wound up watching – I was like, well, I'll put up with it if he's enjoying it. Then, And you know how it is. They calmed it down. And so we've watched all of it except whatever's the latest. Um, it's out now. Not on, yeah, not on DVD yet. Mm-hmm. So, so funny. Yeah, it's it's uh, interesting. I saw a Twitter friend said something about how uh, one of the things he likes about it is that uh, everybody on the show is so screwed up they that they don't have normal human like dating relationship plots on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just um, they're all busy. If you're going to use a tab instead of a space or whatever, yeah. you could just forget it. But the yeah. Satanist character is my favorite. Um, of course. And his pairing with the uh, the Indian guy or Pakistani guy. Oh, is yeah. So yeah, good. Pakistani. Yeah. <laughs> they're really yeah, it's that good is, characterization, really. It is. And I actually. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's Silicon Valley. That's the name of the show. Yeah. 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 It's like half hour comedy single camera. So crude. The thing with the garage door just kind of avert your eyes. I don't remember any of it other than. Oh, my gosh. Well, because maybe you're not a married lady. I don't know. I'm I'm just saying. Oh, I just. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, well, yeah, because he was. Did you see Freaks and Geeks? Martin Starr. He was, you know, one of the most entertaining of the geeks, also. I never saw that one. That. I think it's worth revisiting. It's, I heard, I mean, I heard you know, about it, yeah. And yeah, it was we watched show, right? devotedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I might have seen like one episode or something, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I almost all my time is spent prepping for uh, podcasts now. <laughs> um, I can imagine. Although, I, <laughs> I was watching um, some, a lot of, I've been watching a lot of old Doctor Who. Um, uh, well, where, are you, where are you watching it? On my hard drive. <laughs> 
however, <laughs> I just tweeted. Um, or ret- I don't usually retweet anything that's popular because I'm Mr. Anti-Popular, you know. Uh-huh. But but uh, the t- Doctor Who Twitter accounts tweeted that they are going to start running all the. It looks like all of the classic episodes on Twitch, which is. What a, is? Yeah. Do you know about Twitch? No. What, what is Twitch? Uh-uh, me either. Oh, okay, so. Twitch is hard to believe that it exists because it's like YouTube. It's a it's a phenomenon unto itself. It's actually probably bigger than YouTube, which is hard to believe. Um, but basically, it's uh, streaming video channels made by anybody, right? Just like YouTube, but it's streaming generally. Uh, in fact, it's only streaming. And there's mm-hmm. text chat on the, on the right-hand side and the video on the left-hand side. And mostly what it is is people playing games. So they're playing, uh, you know, a computer game or uh, Xbox game. And you see them playing the, the what they see on the screen. And then there's a little picture usually of them in the bottom left-hand corner or bottom right-hand corner uh, of them playing. And then they're mm-hmm. talking while they play. And it's almost all kids. So almost everybody who watches Twitch is between the ages of uh, 8 and uh, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really interesting, weird phenomenon because it, what the way the people who do it make their living is they get donations. And because the donations show up on screen, people spend money to, like, show up on screen it's really weird it's like it's you you cannot really understand it just by me explaining you really have to go to twitch.com or whatever it is and watch it but the thing is is it's not just games so there might be some lady who knits right (laughs) or who reads books from her bathtub whatever it is it's just streaming and so it's a whole new medium in the way that um podcasting community swarm yeah. yeah and it's very yeah. interesting for from that perspective uh, honestly i cannot imagine myself ever spending any time really looking at people streaming Mm-mm. like that yeah. but i think that's because of my age um i'm just too old for it but every kid every all of my students know about twitch and most of them watch it huh. a lot interesting it's fascinating huh. yeah and so the you know, putting Doctor Who on there, it'll be Doctor Who on the screen, right? And then people on the side going, lol, 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 you know? <laughs> and, like, well, his scarf is so long, <laughs> or whatever it would be. I have no idea what the comments would be like, but they're, like, little teenager comments, you know? So then you get whatever happens to be streaming at that moment of, say, Doctor Who? Yeah, but it's channels, right? So there's a thousand channels or a million channels. Yeah, yeah. And you search for what you're looking for, but there, there are these str- streamer stars, like, you know, there's YouTube stars. There's just there's these people who, you know, all they do all, long, all day long is stream for their, uh, their living. It's so strange because there's no editing, right? And if there is editing, it happens after, and then they upload it to YouTube, right? So there's <laughs> a, a kind of. Um, oh my God. It yeah. is incredibly interestingly bizarre. And, uh, huh. yeah, it's it's got a lot more um, potency and vibrancy than YouTube does, and YouTube's got a hell of a lot. Yeah. But it would, because it's it's a live community that's formed. Yeah, yeah, and it's, and it's constantly so, forming, right? 
Right, right, exactly. So what an interesting way. I'm always inter- so interested in the ways people find to come together and still interact with each other as live and mm-hmm. in person as possible under the circumstances. That is great. I actually mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, my, I, my I daughter think it's a good used thing. to do that on on YouTube. She used to live animate for her YouTube series. Yeah. And for like hours you and can, hours. You can stream <laughs> on, have to be. You can stream on <laughs> YouTube, yeah. but it's the na- the natural place for it is is um, yeah. Yeah, yeah no. this is pre this was 10 years ago when right. she was doing it. Right. So yeah, precursor. Hmm. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. Well, she she probably knows all about it. Yeah, I guess a prop maybe. I mean, she maybe she's out of maybe she stepped out of that that light that world that's now. That's possible. I don't know. She's she's almost a quarter century old. Well, that's still pretty damn young. <laughs> she's ancient. I know. She feels it's only young from our perspective. Mm. Well, right. let's talk about a young person's book. Yeah. Okay, okay. Little friend of all the world. All right. I don't remember who went first last time, other than me. <laughs> so I'm going to yeah, just go I think, I think back Julie's and look. First. Now, it's not about courtesy. Like. It's about logic. So Julie is is first, according to last time. So we'll go that way. Okay. Oh. There we go. Oh, okay. 